the principles behind it. And uh, it's not some new idea. We're going to go to scripture to figure out what's going on today. And uh, this morning, I'm not going to start with the text, but I'm going to give you my title this morning. And it's simply this, Life Together, Revival Together. Life together and revival together. And I want us to pray this morning. That, and, and this is my prayer. Lord, whatever I need to do to be part of revival, Lord, I want you to show me. I want to be a part of it. And I want that to be your prayer today. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, thankful that we have the chance to be here again. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint our ears, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, we're hungry for revival. We're hungry to see your spirit move, to touch, to do greater and mightier things. And Lord, I pray that you would stir my heart, Lord, what I, whatever I need to do, Lord, that you would challenge me, God, to be a part of this revival, Lord, to be a part of what you're doing, God. Lord, I give you praise and glory for what you're already doing, Lord, and I thank you for what you're going to continue to do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Of course, if we talk about revival, the logical place to start begins in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And we find uh, laid out in Acts chapter 2, a passage that I'm sure many people are familiar with. We find that there are uh, three parts to this revival. There are three things, distinct things that happen. And I believe that they are relevant for us today. Now, as we talk about them, they are not things that just happen one at a time and that's it. But we know that as a church, uh, even in the book of Acts, the early church, it would go through these stages several times. And I believe that we can find ourselves in the middle of what was taking place in the book of Acts. We know that it starts out with the famous verses in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Ten days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, we find that the Holy Ghost falls on the 120 that are gathered there. Now, whether they had been together for 10 whole days, maybe that's why they all needed the Holy Ghost. (laughs) But we know that after 10 days, the day of Pentecost arrives. And when the day was fully come, we find that the Holy Ghost begins to fall upon those gathered there. And the first aspect that we find in revival is those are 120 faithful people that have gathered. They are willing to stay and wait until the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Comforter comes. They are willing to give up whatever they had to give up to be in that upper room and not miss the chance to receive what God was sending. And we find that the first part of the revival that took place was something that happened inside the believers, was something that happened inside those 120 who are gathered gathered there, that there had to be fire that fell from heaven, that there had to be a rushing mighty wind, that there had to be a transformation of how they looked and how they thought and how they acted. There had to be something that came over those people that they knew from this point, my life can never be the same again. It's not a matter 
of choice, but my life cannot be the same because of what God has done in my life. And the first part of revival that we find in Acts chapter 2 begins with you and I. And it's something that begins to stir inside of us. It's as the Holy Ghost begins to move upon us. And if you have missed it over the last couple months, I think that's what the Holy Ghost is doing to us. It's stirring things inside of us. It's causing us to act a little bit different. It's causing us to get involved in different ways because we feel something happening. Whether you want to call it the wind of God, whether you want to call it the fire of God, something is happening in our spirits. This is the first part of revival. And I know that God can save whoever he wants to save. But if there's a church there, I believe that God will try to get the church stirred up first to go do his work. I believe that God could just start filling people with the Holy Ghost in a place where there's nobody. But I believe God wants to use his church. And so I want to be on board with the church. I want to be on board with the spirit of God and what he's trying to do. And we find, I find it very interesting that maybe we don't know the exact hour that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, but we do know that shortly after receiving the Holy Ghost, when the day was fully come, perhaps it's sometime early in the morning. So we're looking at a few hours that within a few hours of receiving the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost prompts those people to do something. And this is exactly where we are right now. The Holy Ghost prompt us, prompting us to do something. And the first thing they did after speaking with other tongues, was they began to pour out of the house where they had received the Holy Ghost. I believe God wants us to pour out of this place. He wants us to pour out of here on a Sunday morning. He wants us to get down the walls. He wants us to be a church without walls. And He wants what we feel in here to go out there. God is pushing us out. God is sending us out. God is stirring us. And believe me, He'll open the doors if you're willing to go. I need the oxygen mask already. The Holy Ghost sent them out. Let me just tell you that the first characteristic that we find of the Holy Ghost is that of sending. You were not created. You were not given the Holy Ghost to sit just in a church. Now, church is important. You're here, and I'm glad you're here, and we're supposed to be here. But you do not have the Holy Ghost just to sit here. There should be something inside of you. If the Holy Ghost is active inside of you, this should be pushing you outside. This should be pushing you somewhere else. And if it's not, then maybe you need the day of Pentecost to fully come one more time in your life because the Spirit always stirs me to action. The Spirit always stirs me outside of myself. And I pray that every time that we gather together in this place, I pray every time we have a a prayer meeting, every time that we come on a Wednesday night, that Acts 2, 1 through 4 would happen to all of us. Because there's nothing greater than all of us leaving knowing that we have been filled with the Holy Ghost. There's nothing more powerful than us understanding that God has done something in our lives. And we find them pouring out of that upper room. No matter their culture or background, everybody likes to see something different. Everyone likes to see something strange. I don't know that there's any culture that when they see something odd, they just ignore it. No, everyone likes to stop and see what's going on. I know in, in a city or different places, there's people out on the street and they're, they're performing and doing all kinds of stuff and they draw a crowd because people like to see something 
different happening. And so as these 120 pour out of an upper room, a spectacle is taking place. Something odd is happening in the street at around 9 in the morning. That this is not the time when people should be acting like this if they're ever supposed to act like this. And so we find people that are in Jerusalem from around the world. They begin to gather and watch the scene unfold. They are from 13 different nationalities and they all want to see what is taking place with these 120 I don't know what they were (laughs) and I'm sure there was a lot of confusion on the scene that day if you've ever been gathered with a, a bunch of people speaking languages that you don't know it can be a little disconcerting it can be a little confusing and you begin to zone it out a little bit and you just hear noises And I'm sure this was the scene that day. And we know that thousands of people began to gather. Many languages are being spoken at the same time, both by the 120 and also by the people gathered there. And there's questions in every language. There's comments in every language. There's mocking and scorning taking place all at the same time. When all of a sudden, perhaps it was one, perhaps it was more than one person. They are startled to hear something. They are startled to hear their own language being spoken. Out of the midst of all the noise, they begin to hear a language being spoken. Being spoken, And he may have commented to those around him. They may have begun pointing out, that person, I know what they're saying. And throughout the crowd, it begins to sweep throughout the crowd as others begin to quiet their comments and notice that I understand that one and they could tell from their dress and the way they looked that these were not people that should have known other languages that they were uneducated Galileans there was no way that these fishermen should have been speaking Persian or Egyptian and scripture states the crowd was amazed and began to marvel at what they were witnessing And as they begin to ask questions of what is taking place, they begin to wonder if these men are drunk and the ripple begins to go through the crowd that perhaps these men and women are drunk somehow. And it's at that moment that Peter stands and begins to address the gathered crowd. And he clarifies what is taking place. In case you're unsure this morning, what is taking place in this house today? You can trace it back to the words just as Peter did. That this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That this is the Spirit of God that was promised. This is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I know it may seem strange. I know it may cause some comments and questions to arise inside of you, but this is that that the scripture promised. Peter declares what the crowd is witnessing is a fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And as he shares the work of Jesus and his death, conviction begins to fall on the crowd that day. And the famous words come forth from those gathered there, not knowing all that is taking place. But they utter these words, what must we do to be saved? Peter responds with the commands that you must repent, you must be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And those words are still true today, that if you want to draw closer to God, you must repent, you must be baptized, and you need the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the promise is unto you and to your children and all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And if God has ever called you, if God has ever spoke to you, if God has ever stirred you, then let me make sure you know that the Holy Ghost is for you today. (laughs) Now we are not sure 
of how many people exactly were gathered there that day. But we do know that the Spirit of God fell on those gathered there. And over 3,000 people were added to the church that day. What a service that would be. What a, what a monumental thing that would be to see. And here we find the second part of the Acts revival. It began with those that were, if you want to say, in the church. And now it moves to a supernatural act of God. And 3,000 being filled with the Holy Ghost. And let me say, I believe that God still moves in this supernatural way. (laughs) Now, I know sometimes my flesh would just like God to move that way, and I could sit back and just watch it all happen. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not to discount the fact that God still does move in those supernatural ways. I believe that God still opens the windows of heaven. I believe that he still wants to fill hundreds and thousands with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I know we get happy with five sometimes, and I'm happy too. But I know God looks down and he sees more. He sees more than I could ever ask or think. And God wants to do a work among us. In fact, we still see this taking place around the globe today as people gather and God begins to fill hundreds and thousands of people at a time. And let me just say, I don't think I can read those reports and I don't think you ever should either without being thankful, but then also saying, Lord, I want to see that happen here. Lord, I'm not satisfied. I'm thankful, but I'm not satisfied. Lord, I want to see a hundred soul revival. I want to see 200 soul revivals. Oh, come on. I believe the Spirit still draws on men's hearts. I believe the power of God is enough to draw people to this place that they may not know or understand, but there's something about the presence and the Spirit of God. I believe there's churches that are hungry for what God has. And I believe God wants something more to happen than what we have already seen. I hope this isn't it. And I mean that in the best way possible. I hope this isn't all that God has in store. But I want to see double. I want to see triple. I want to see God do miraculous things. (laughs) I want to see God do things so powerful that only he can get the credit for it. (laughs) You know, sometimes we know it's God, but we know it was us too. (laughs) But sometimes there's things that happen when you can't take any credit whatsoever because it's so unbelievable what he did. That's what I want to see happen. And I can't say no, it couldn't have been my outreach program. It couldn't have been my, my whatever great idea I had because there's no way that I could even have conceived what God did. But I want God to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask, think, or imagine. I want God to do things that only he can get the credit for. And because of that, we're going to keep gathering together. And because of that, we're going to keep preaching the word of God. We're going to keep having revival services. We're going to keep fasting. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep believing God because he has souls in this city. And he is looking. He is searching. He wants to do something among us. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep believing God. We know that this happened on at least one other occasion where there were thousands of people filled at a time. We read just a few chapters later where 5,000 were added to the church. And let me make, make it clear that although we don't read it happening every day in Scripture, we do know that it still happens today. 
And we only read of two times, so there could be more times where there was groups of hundreds, if not thousands, that received the gospel message at the same time. And as I said before, God does that today around the world. 3,000 has been superseded many times just within the apostolic movement where God has filled thousands of people with the Holy Ghost at the same time. And let me just say that we do not disparage these moves of God. We do not write these things off. We do not just say that it was hype or anything. No, I cannot write those things off like that because I want to see it happen here. <laughs> I'd love to see a bunch of people show up that nobody knows. <laughs> That's pretty hard in a small town too. But we find that this was... I'm going to take a breath and slow it down for just a minute. We find this was not the only way that God moved in the early church. There's three parts of the revival we find in Acts 2 that God moved upon those that were gathered seeking Him. That God moved upon the crowd that He had drawn to that place because of His Spirit. But we find a third way that the revival continued in Acts chapter 2. Because this is very important. Because I'll tell you right now, uh, we can, we can, God can do something miraculous like that. And again, we rejoice. But even in those moments, we can settle for just that. Imagine if the early church had just settled for 3,000. And that sounds like a crazy statement. What if 3,000 people were added to this church in one day? Would we be happy? Would we be excited? Would we be everything? Absolutely. But I want to tell you this, there's more than that that God has in store. <laughs> it sounds like a paradox that, that, that we seek that and when it happens we want more. We can be thankful but not satisfied. But there, I want to see a continued revival. I want to see things happening continuously. I don't want to see something happen in one year and then five years later something else. No, I want to see God moving every single day. And these were all, all of this is a part of the sustained revival we see taking place in the first church. And there's the key, a sustained revival. We find what took place between these large groups coming together. And the revival didn't stop between the three and the five thousand. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men. I meant to delete that verse. And parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness. In singleness of heart. Today we're talking about life groups. Today we're talking about life together, revival together. <laughs> we're talking about what takes place outside of the 3,000 in the altar. We're talking about life together, revival together. And life groups are, simply put, accomplishing life together. And a life group is simply a gathering of people around a common point whether it's a common ministry, a common burden or desire to see something happen, or as simple as a common interest or a common hobby, because it's life together. Now, I know that there's a few of us here that live in a constant, perpetual state of the third heaven, but there's a few others who like to do some other things too. A life group can simply be a common interest or a common hobby. It's something everyone can be involved with. And anyone can lead. And we heard a few Wednesdays ago, it was supposed to be the Wednesday before this Sunday, but that didn't happen. 
But we heard a few Wednesdays ago from some of the leaders of current life groups, which, and we have around 17 life groups going right now. And these are not groups or departments that the church has started. These are not things that we've said, well, we need to do this and we need to do that. Life groups are things that people say, I want to do this. These are groups, these are individuals, they've started these and they've chose to start these and they are small groups and, and, and the point of them is to intentionally live life together in some way. And we have a video that we'd like to play at this moment. If they could play that, please. It's couches and porches and kitchen tables. It's stories shared and moments worth remembering. It's hoping and praying and taking chances. It's laughter and tears and friends to talk to at the end of the day. It's ears to listen and hands to help you get up when you fall. It's questions and answers and I don't knows. It's knowing you don't have to figure it out all by yourself. It's messy and imperfect. It's giving and serving and growing better together. It's life. And we weren't meant to do it alone. You know, the vision of life groups uh, started with the concept of taking something that we're interested in and learning how to uh, intentionally incorporate God uh, into our life and into what we enjoy. It was an amazing time. Um, we were challenged uh, before we went. We prayed um, and we asked God to just keep His hand upon us. So, it's life group is something that, um, you know, the four, the four alls that we uh, go to church in, there's uh, most of our ministry we do are outside of the four walls. And it's a um, casual environment, and I'm really looking forward to um, our next outing in a few weeks. And it was just a really uh, great time. We were able to uh, connect with one another. We were able to talk and, and uh, get to know one another and joke around. And uh, before we ever started the project, we took a moment to pray and had a word of prayer. And we could really, we could really feel the presence of God. And, I th and it impacted the rest of the, how the day went. Basically, everybody kind of brought their own instruments. I brought my violin. Uh, another member brought his didgeridoo. And uh, we had another member bring some kind of Eastern flute thing. And it progressed to actually creating a song. It was just an opportunity to fellowship. It was an opportunity to um, learn about each other. It's a fantastic thing to me to see that. Just that type of ministry in an unexpected way. Amen. A life group. A life group. Acts chapter 2, the verses we read is simply... A life group, what we envision. It's not some newfangled idea. It's something the early church did from the very start. The health of the early church was tied to both the large gatherings and the small gatherings. The early church would not have been healthy if all they did was meet on a Sunday. The health of the early church was tied to both the large gathering and the small gatherings. You cannot have a healthy church with doing only one. Let me say that you cannot have a healthy Christianity if you're only doing one. 
And we heard on Wednesday about discipleship, that as people come to the church, as 3,000 people are added to the church, which was God's will and God's purpose, that immediately after that, they were not left to flounder, but they were discipled. And the best way to disciple people is not from a pulpit, but in a relationship. Life groups are simply relationships. That if I want sustained revival, yes, it's about the service and and, and everything happening and people receiving the Holy Ghost in the altar. It is not a discounting of that whatsoever. But it is also the daily discipleship, the daily relationships that we form with people. We find from the first days of the early church, there was something continued, and we can find it present throughout the entirety of Scripture. We find that they began together, yes, as large groups, but they began together and, and, and to get together in a body, uh, in the large group, but also in the smaller daily meetings. I know the old timers say we used to have a six-week revival, and we'd have church every night. <laughs> well... That's not what the early church did. (laughs) They had church a few times and they all fellowshiped and discipled each other all the days of the week. Anyway, but this provided a number of things. This provided a number of things and this is what we're looking at. It's not just a momentary spike and call it revival. No, this is about seeing souls added to the church every single day. It mentions the doctrine that they can, and I'm going to hurry. They mentions the apostles' doctrine, which implies that there was a teaching that took place. And you're going to hear more about that Wednesday, that iron sharpens iron, that it's good for us to get together and talk about things. It's interesting to notice that they don't say, and although it did happen, because we take scripture as an entirety, that there were church services where they talked about doctrine, but doctrine was discussed in small groups. The best way to propagate holiness is in a small group. I wish the pastor would preach about holiness in short sleeves and red dresses and long hair more. That's just what I wish. I don't know about you. But you know what? Doctrine can be passed not just from a pulpit, but it can be passed from person to person in a relationship in a small group. The church format, what we are doing right now, is definitely beneficial, but it is not meant to stand alone as the sole teaching in your life. We could get off on parenting. If I'm relying on the Sunday school to teach my kids how to make it to heaven, I'm not obeying scripture. Teaching must take place outside of the format that we have for a church service. Is it necessary? Absolutely. But there should be something more happening. They were together. They were not living in the same house. They did not develop some sort of cult commune where they all bought a big ranch somewhere and all lived there and they would buy Kool-Aid in bulk and all drink it. But they were united in the same community. They were engaged in the same things. Although their lives were different, they had things that were common among them. Of course, you know, if you hear on the radio someone talking about cardinal nation, you know what that means. You know that means as a bunch of people who have a variety of jobs, different races, different nationalities, may even speak different languages, but they are common in their support of one thing, the cardinals. I think it would be all right for us to have diversity and yet unity at the same time where we understand that yes we're different I don't have to act just like someone else but there should be a community engagement in the same things there should be life together revival together 
They understood something that for the church to flourish, and we heard about discipleship outside of the church on Wednesday, but they understood something else. For the church to flourish, there must be a community, or if we want to put it in our vernacular, there must be fellowship. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this. You cannot grow effectively in the Lord in isolation. You cannot. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. If you are isolated, in fact, I would go to say this. If you are sitting here today and you are isolated, that is not the will of God for your life. Because God did not create you that way. He did not create the walk that we walk, this Christian walk, to be that way. In fact, you, it, the, the problem is, is we can become even more isolated the longer we live for God. We can become so insulated in, in our friends and what we have. And it's important for us to understand that I cannot begin to pull back as I live for God. But I must increase my fellowship. We know that Adam, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And I know all the ladies say, I know that's right. But he wasn't speaking just of man. He was speaking of mankind. Some people's natural reaction is flight, is withdrawal, is shutting down. When things don't happen the way that you like or you don't, you don't understand something, your natural reaction is to flee, to shut down. But that is not what the church is called to do. The church is called to fellowship, to be a part of everyone's life. Let me just tell you right now, if your response is isolation to any situation, the enemy has you where he wants you. If your response in your marriage is isolation, he has your marriage where he wants it. If your response when something happens at church or something that you don't like or someone says something is to isolate yourself, you are perfectly in the will of the enemy for your life. Because the enemy knows that it is tough to disconnect someone that is in a community of fellowship with other people. But when you are isolated, that's when bitterness can come in a whole lot easier. That's when I can begin to criticize things because I'm not invested in anything. I can become disillusioned to the Christian life itself when I become an isolated person. If I want to see revival, I cannot see revival outside of fellowship with the body that God has placed me into. Little things become magnified when I view them in isolation. If you ever read stories about people that have been in solitary confinement, in fact, there's a movement, and we won't get into the politics of it, to actually call solitary confinement cruel and unusual punishment because of what isolation does to the chemicals in your brain alone. When you are isolated, it does all kinds of things. But let me tell you, God has fit you into this building, the church, not this physical building, but the body of Christ. God has put you here. God has put you in this place. He has put you with the person that you're sitting next to and behind you and in front of you. And he has called you to reach this community with that person. He has called you to serve with that person. God did not intend for you to become an island no matter the reason. I don't care if it's your personality. I don't care if it's your demeanor. I don't care how you've, uh, all the trust that's been broken before, all the issues you've had in your life. When God put you in the church, he said, I want you to be with the church. I want you to be in the church. I have given you the support that you need. That doesn't mean you have to have 65 close friends. But you've got to be involved with the body. If I want to see revival, then my fellowship depends upon it. 
In fact, it says right, doc, right after doctrine, it says fellowship. It says after you know what you're supposed to believe, the next thing they did is they all got together and fellowshiped. The Greek word for fellowship means community or participation. You need to participate in what the body is doing if you want to see revival. If you want to be apostolic, doctrine is not enough in your life. If you want to be truly apostolic, you must fellowship, you must be part of a community, you must participate, and our life group's a great, great way to do that. Another thing we find is our hurry occurring in, is ministry begins to take place. Ministry begins to happen in the early church. Peer-to-peer ministry begins to happen. Turn to the person on your left and, and look him in the eye and say, you're my peer. <laughs> peer at the person next to you. You're my peer. <laughs> peer-to-peer ministry. Ministry amongst the body. Do you know that God intended his church to care for itself? God intended for the body to take care of itself. Just like your natural body. Before you go to the doctor, your body is created to try and take care of it. Now, I know sometimes it doesn't work. You, go, you have to go to the doctor. But your body was created with an immune system and things that begin to fight stuff off. In the same way that the body is supposed to take care of the body in the church. Raise your hand if if you might consider yourself a part of the body of Christ. Then you are to minister to the rest of the body. This is not something that's delegated to a few people. This is delegated to the body. Peer-to-peer ministry. Sometimes we think the pastor should be the one responsible for healing the body. But the body is supposed to heal the body. Ministry is more likely to take place among people who know each other well. And the main reason is you get to know the needs easier. <laughs> you know, that's what people say. Well, I wish I'd just know. Well, I didn't know either. It's like some database of needs we need to keep. That would be a depressing database right there. But you know what? If you want to know what someone needs, get involved in their life. Get in a relationship with them. And I'm not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> I say, well, he said to date them to find out what their needs are. <laughs> oh, boy. But you know what? That's what it says when it, when it says they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, yes. They were selling property and they were sharing those resources amongst themselves. You ever read that and got scared and think, well, we'll skip over that because the church is going to ask me to sell everything and we're all just going to have to live. And, and once we build the sanctuary, we'll just all have to move into the gym and have all things in common. No, you know what that actually was? It was an example of peer-to-peer ministry. Because understand that there were 3,000 people that were added to the church that day. And we said it at the very start. There were over 13 nations that were mentioned that were present there that day. Now there were people that were there, received the Holy Ghost and went home. But the way society was set up, and we can find it happened many times throughout Scripture, is that I guarantee you some of those people said, you know what, I'm saying There's nothing like this back home. I'm staying in Jerusalem. Well, you know what? They have no house. They have no, they have nothing. And so the, the body began to take care of the body and people began to say, well, you know what? You're here. You're part of the body. I can sell something to help you. Does that mean that all of us today need to go sell everything? No, but it does mean that peer to peer ministry is important if I want to see revival take place. 
This was not an organized event, but something that took place between believers. It wasn't something that they called together because there was no organized church at this moment. It was simply people that knew the need and said, I can take care of that need. I can minister to that person. And if I'm going to rely on the church to provide all of the ministry and all of the care, I I would put forth that we will not see daily revival taking place. We will not. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you get on the church website, send an email and let them know all the needs that you know about. If you have love one for another. Relationship. When the church, notice this. They'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When the church begins to minister and care for one another, the world notices. The world noticed that they were selling their stuff and giving it to each other. The world noticed. Unity happens. Unity happens. Life together, revival together. Unity came about. They had singleness of heart. When they went from house to house, living their life in between church services together. It says they went to the temple. It says that. That they went to church every week. And then in between, they broke bread from house to house. There was a unity that developed by that example. Unity cannot be born solely by being here on Wednesday and Sunday. Now, it's important for you to be there. And they went to the temple. They did go to the temple, but in between those moments, the challenge for me is how do I live my life together so that we can see revival together? I want to see unity, and I realize that I cannot become unified with a person when I'm standing behind a podium just screaming at you. I might have to talk to you a little bit. This is how I always talk. I always talk in this voice like this. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Lively means living. One of the characteristics of something being alive is growth. You are to grow in relation to the other stones around you. And I know you may think, well, I knew that person had rocks in their head next to me. No, they are a living stone that is next to you. And God has put you with them. You have been placed with them. For this building to be solid, enough for 3,000 souls to come in. For this building to be solid enough for souls to come into this place like God wants to. For it to be strong, the stones of this building must be united together. And that cannot happen once a week I become united when I live together and when we have life together we have revival together there must be a bond there must be something in between each stone that holds it together in the storms of life there must be something that holds each of those things that God has placed each person that God has placed there must be something and if I could say that the mortar that holds us together is the relationships that we have with one another if you have a problem with who God has placed you with take it up with him but until he changes that You need to figure out how to unite with those around you. Because he has placed you here for a reason and for a purpose. As I close. Come to the music. Now. After you ordered me around Wednesday night. The last thing is evangelism. All these things have been internal so far. 
Life together, revival together. That so far we have teaching. We, we, we grow with each other in our teaching, our knowledge, our doctrine. We have fellowship with one another. And fellowship is important. We gain strength through fellowship. Ministry to one another. That's all internal. That as we minister to one another, that the world notices in unity when we are united together for a common goal, a common purpose. All of these are necessary, but we read, I want to read Acts 2.42 again and continue on a little further. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, they prayed together. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. They ministered to one another. They sold their possessions, possessions, possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one another in one accord in the temple. They kept coming to church and breaking of bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness or unity of heart. And the whole point of all of this, let me just say, I don't care what you think about life groups. Maybe I've done a poor job explaining that you just go out and have a good time together. That's all it is. A life group is simply where you say, hey, there's a thrift store one over here. And roughly once a month they go out. Uh, some ladies, uh, hey, I don't know if there's equality in that group or not. But a um, group of ladies right now, they get together and they go thrift store shopping together. Different places they go out to eat. That's a life group. That's a life group. And you know what's happened? <laughs> there's some people that have come to that life group. They don't come to this church. See, because something begins to happen. They're, they go kayaking. They, they, there's one where, where about computer stuff up here. And I don't even know what it is, so I just call it stuff. Computer stuff up here. There's one about writing Bible studies. There's a Bible study group. There's all kind of these things together. And the whole point of this is not to fill up our schedule. The whole point of this is not to make our lives busier. The point is to live life together so that we can have revival together. And it's not a new concept. But this, this is the point. This is the prayer. This is the hope. Is verse 47. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. I know I say it all the time, but man. I'm just looking for the day when we have to put a slide on the, on the screen there. We, we have it for prayer requests, all the people that need healing this week. I, I would just love that we have to have a slide because it gets too long where we say so-and-so was added to the church this week. It, I, I don't discount the 3,000 at all. Man, bring on the 3,000. We'll deal with it when they come. Just bring it on. We'll try it. But I want to see people added every single day. Notice, because of how they live their lives between the large gatherings, between Sunday and Wednesday, how they live their life in between, first of all, they gain favor amongst their community and those surrounding them. I know that we know what we have in here is real and what the world needs. But outside, we're just another church to a lot of people. When they lived their life together every day, all of a sudden, the community noticed what was happening. 
They didn't notice. Yes, there was moments. There's the lame man in the temple and miraculous. There's, there's those moments in between. But that was not the only point. It was when they lived their life together that all of a sudden the community said, I know they're real Christians. I know they're real disciples. I know they care about each other. And all of a sudden it says in there too, we find that as they lived life together, miracles, signs, and wonders begin to happen. Well, we need to have a healing service. We need more miracles. What if it's as simple as just living life together and as I see a need in my friend, I begin to pray for them and miracles begin to happen every single day. Because they live life together. In between, God added every day. And this is the third part of the Acts 2 revival. Daily revival. We don't disregard or disrespect or discount the 3,000. Not at all. But I believe God wants to add to this church every single day. What that means is when they left the temple on Sunday, church wasn't dismissed. I know we got to say something to let everyone go. (laughs) I don't feel like I can leave until I hear that word dismissed. That's what I grew up on. Snap your fingers, I still turn because that means you're in trouble when you get home and you can't leave until you're dismissed. That stay and pray for a while, you got to stay because you haven't been dismissed. Revival didn't stop when service was dismissed. Church ended, but revival hadn't stopped. We're not not leaving preaching and gathering together. We're not going to quit having church. We're not going to do that. But neither are we going to walk out these doors and leave it till next week. We're going to start carrying revival from this place. We are going to intentionally fellowship, intentionally reach out, intentionally minister to one another. And I want to be fully, absolutely, intentionally apostolic. And I know it sounds like a name that sounds whatever, but life groups, the basis of it is apostolic. It is to its core. That means that, 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 that more than hearing, I, I'm going to do more than just hear good preaching and good teaching. No, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to teach someone else. I'm going to disciple someone else. I'm going to go get involved with somebody else. It means living life where God has placed me intentionally. God has put me in my job for a reason. He has put me in my school for a reason. And I know it seems like I can't find any commonality. Start a life group and see what God will do in your life. It means teaching, fellowshipping, ministering to the body, being unified with the body, and seeing daily revival as we stand this morning. Our focus as a church organization is turning to providing these large gathering moments. We're going to keep having church. We're going to keep gathering people together. We're going to keep saying, let's all come together. But I can't orchestrate you living life together. I know, well, anyway, I just need to hurry up and finish. I can't orchestrate people living life together. Well, you're going to this person's house this week, and you should go out and do this this week, and you need to do this, and you need to, you need to uh, race remote control cars together, and you need to, can't do that. So the question comes, am I going to live my life as an individual? Happy with church, excited when I come to church? Let me just broaden that out a little bit. Is my family going to be an isolated family that our family does stuff together but we don't do it with other families together because just doing things with my family doesn't mean I'm out of isolation or will you be a part of the house that God is building that God has put you in 
He has put you to unify with the people around you. He has put you to minister to the people around you in a variety of ways, and they're represented all around this church, and you're going to see more of it in just a minute. But I want us to get past the concept of the people that are around me. We don't just have church together. We live life together. We don't just... Does that mean that 24-7 I've got to be with one of you guys? Well, my family's over there, so yeah, I probably do. No, but there should be something that we do together outside of the church. And I can't discount it as ministry. It is ministry. We live life together. And when the church has apostolic life together, we have revival together. Perhaps a life group is the best way that I could connect someone to church, to other believers. And today we're encouraging people to be a part, not just of a life group. That's not, it's not a program that we want you to be a part of. No, it's about revival. Because I want to see God accomplish everything that He wants to in me and us in this community. And if it means that I have to go kayaking with someone, or if I have to go write a Sunday school lesson with someone, or i got to show up at CR or help with a nursing home, or, well, may I need an auction group. That's what I need, not the thrift store. If I've got to do that to see revival, I need to do it. And so this is not, we're going to have an altar call. And this is not an altar call that you should come and weep and cry and say, Lord, I have to be a part of a life group. It's not what this is about. This is about revival. This is about revival. And so I'm going to open this altar here in just a moment. And if you want to see revival, (laughs) that's all it is. And perhaps something stirs in you. We're going to see in just a minute. It's not going to be a whole lot longer, I promise. I've gone over my time. But I want us to pray that the Lord would send revival to us. And I would be willing to do whatever I need to do to be a part of that revival. I want us to pray right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you.